Hello, and welcome to another installment of Conversations at the Washington Library, a podcast about early American history and the people who teach it. In this episode, Samantha Snyder sits down with Library Research Fellow Dr. Joyce Lindorf to discuss her research on Nellie Park Custis, as well as the newly restored harpsichord that has been recently brought back to Mount Vernon in honor of our Year of Music celebration. For more information about upcoming music-related programming at the estate, please check out the link on the webpage for this podcast at www.mountvernon.org podcast. As always, please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast series so that you do not miss an episode. And without further ado, here is Samantha Snyder and Dr. Joyce Lindorf. So, Joyce, I'm really happy to have you here with me today. Um, it's nice to see you sitting across from me. Uh, and I guess we're just, we'll go ahead and start and talk about what you've been doing here at the library for the past month. Um, so tell me, tell me, what all have you been doing here? Uh, uh, thank you, Sam. Yeah. It's been such a pleasure and an adventure to be at the library for the past month. Um, I came here specifically to work with the new reproduction of Nellie Custis's harpsichord, which is so special and which is so unique, mm -hmm. not only for itself, but also for this place because her music resides here in the mm -hmm. library. Mm -hmm. So that's what I came to do to actually work with the instrument and the music that matches it so perfectly. Oh, good. Okay. So, how did you how did you get involved with this with this project? I know this is a part of a longer project. I mean, this is Mount Vernon's Year of Music, so I know there's a lot going on. But how how did you get started with all of this? It is. Um, it's very exciting um, to be here for this Year of Music right at the start. Um, the way it started for me was John Watson, who is the recently retired and now emeritus conservator and curator of musical instruments at Williamsburg. Mm -hmm. um, he is a, a very long-standing colleague of mine. We've had a chance to work together before. And um, recently, I had a similar fellowship at Williamsburg, sure. which mm -hmm. allowed me to work in their library with items that matched some of the instruments that are there. John had put together a very beautiful collection and exhibition of instruments that um, actually illustrated the relationship of the piano and the harpsichord during this era, the late 18th century. Um, so what I was able to do there was study a volume in their library, mm -hmm. which was the second volume of the harpsichord miscellany, and then record music from that volume and the first harpsichord miscellany mm -hmm. on an instrument that matched it very, very well. Um, so this offered another opportunity to do something similar, but maybe even more specifically related, of course, because it was Nellie Custis's harpsichord and Nellie Custis's music. Um, the way I found out about the fellowship was John alerted me that uh -huh. there was such a thing available. Yeah. And I was so thrilled and excited about it. Um, I immediately looked it up and learned that um, I could apply mm -hmm. for the library fellowship, which I did. Um, and it was just really thrilling to um, to be admitted for this very special month, yes. which yes. is just unfortunately coming I to know, an end. I know, I'm so sad. 
glad. This yeah. has been one of the best. This has been one of the most interesting topics that we've had here in, in my tenure here. So it's been a real treat having you. Um, and tell me a little bit about your background to step back a little bit from this fellowship. Um, you're coming from Philadelphia or the Philadelphia area. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that. Well, um, currently I teach in the keyboard department at Temple University. Okay. And my specialty and my interest is how history intersects with the music that we play. So I'm basically a historical keyboard player Mm -hmm. um, and music historian. Just fascinating. (laughs) The the intersection is what interests me, how um, what we know about history um, helps us understand and play the music more beautifully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I know in your past month here, you've been doing some research specifically with Nellie's music books. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about that, what all you've been studying in those? Well, actually, you helped me a great deal, Sam, because from the very first <laughs> moment that I walked into the library, I encountered your your smiling face and your information that, in fact, there were some very interesting markings mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. books. Um, I did not know that. And what I did know was I did know the, the titles of the collections that were here. I knew that there were bound volumes. I, I pretty much had... Um, done the work of finding out what was here, of Mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. But what I did not know, and what was, I think, the most exciting thing about going into the vault and actually studying her original music, was that she made markings in her music, Mm -hmm. um, which really was fascinating because it helped us to understand what her musical life was in a very real way. Um, When we learn music, when I teach music to my own students, Mm -hmm. um, we put in fingering. Mm -hmm. I'll occasionally put in a tempo marking or a metronome marking these Mm -hmm. days. And Nellie did that, or her teacher did that. And so when I opened up these volumes, there were some pieces that were heavily marked up. And so that tells us that she absolutely worked with these particular pieces. So that's very exciting and very instructive and informative because it tells us she worked on this music. Definitely. Um, When people ask sometimes, could an amateur player, you know, a young woman in the in the parlor in those days, could she have really played this very virtuosic music? I can now answer absolutely yes. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons I can answer so definitively is because I've also seen her exercise that was given yes. to her, and it seems that her teacher wrote at the top, to be practiced in every key. Wow. Um, And because I've just so recently found it, I haven't actually learned it myself, Uh which I will do. Yes, definitely. um, In every key. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. might even give it to my students. You should. You absolutely should. Oh, see, that's so cool. The the things you can take away from here are just fascinating. Um, What are some of the the pieces that you found that had the fingerings in it? Um, Do you remember any titles offhand at all? Um, Yes. Um, One piece that... I actually began playing right away when I arrived because, of course, I hadn't had a chance to look 
into the library immediately, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I wanted to play the harpsichord immediately. Oh, yes. And I've heard you play the harpsichord, and it sounds beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. It's such a pleasure to play it. It's, um, it's really become a good friend over the last month. It's mm-hmm. a very special instrument. But I wanted to, of course, experience the instrument with music that I knew would have been played on it. So I did know that in Nellie's collection was what is labeled Handel's Water Piece. Yes. And it's actually the first movement of Handel's Water Music, the D major suite. Okay. And there is a very fine harpsichord arrangement of it by Gimignani, which I play. And so I brought that to start right out, knowing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that this this music was played by Nelly. But when I got here and had a chance to open to that page, there I saw her fingering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was a good guess. Yes, definitely, definitely. And that's that's one of the pieces that I heard you play. And it, it is just, there's something really special about hearing what we believe is as close to the exact same sound as it would have been in 1794 when Nellie was first playing it. You, you feel like you've stepped back in time, and it's really special. Um, so what what will this research that you've been doing here, what will this be used for overall? Um, I should say that the instrument that we have now um, is completely due to the work of John Watson, who was able to study the original. The original, um, he would describe as a document because it was pretty much untouched. And so John Watson was able to measure and to study, examine, um, analyze all of the different aspects of this instrument, which are many. Mm-hmm. It's composed mm-hmm. of wood and metal and leather and you know, lots of other materials. Um, a blacksmith was involved to reproduce the metal parts, which are considerable and very complicated. So a lot of research went into this even before I came on the scene mm-hmm. to play it. Um, and as this document we're now able to understand how the original might have sounded. So I consider my job to be to continue this research and be able to hear what this original sounded like. And I think the documentation goes from the actual object Mm -hmm. into a, a different dimension, which is that we can hear it orally. Mm -hmm. So um, that's very exciting to be able to bring the sound to life and not just the sound, but also the music making. And for me to try to do that in the most artistic and historically aware way that I can. Definitely. And also try to tell some of the stories that exist using this music. So that's Essentially, that that is what I hope to do, to tell the story of this place and this person and how the music might have been part of life Definitely. at Mount Vernon. And I know you've also been looking at some uh, some of our, our letters that we have here from Nellie to her good friend, Elizabeth Bordley Gibson. Um, did anything come of that as far as mentions of music, or can you tie that in with your study of the, the actual music and the harpsichord at all? Um, yes, of course, because in the letters, um, again, Sam um, 
you and Catherine Hearn in the library have been so, so helpful, um, giving me access and information about the materials here, which were so, so fantastic. Um, the letters bring Nellie to life mm-hmm. because we can read her we can just sense her spirit and her her attitude was such a i think of both intellectual curiosity but also great spirit and humor and that tells us something maybe about how she approached her music definitely um she writes about teaching her pet parrot to <laughs> sing things like that she's she's very humorous and and very delightful the letters are wonderful but in some of them she asks her friend elizabeth boardley to send her some songs mm-hmm. that she doesn't have and they're songs she's really interested in she says that she misses her that they can no longer sing duets together when they're separated. So she has to sing solos, (laughs) which tells us that she sang. Sang as well, yeah. Mm -hmm. She was very, um, I would say, she was very adept and musical and had skills at the keyboard. We know that she played music that was not necessarily written for harpsichord solo. Mm -hmm. Um, And as we discussed before, she played orchestral music, such as the Handel's Water Music. Um, That was a very popular thing to do in the parlor. And we have to kind of put ourselves in the position of somebody who loves music in the late 18th century and doesn't have um, something like their phone um, that they can just, you know, put up their favorite music or switch from piece to piece. They would have to play these pieces in the parlor. Mm-hmm. They would have to order the music, probably from London. I was saying that would take time to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wanted all the best pieces, all the most popular pieces, the popular songs from the shows Mm -hmm. that would have been done from the operas, the ensemble pieces. So Nellie was able to play songs that were arrangements of quintets and quartets and trios, and she could play all the parts at the keyboard. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me that she probably would have been singing and accompanying herself at the keyboard as well. Yeah. Yeah, and you think that these um, performances or these these times that she was playing the harpsichord and singing this this would have been done in the parlor during during parties or who would she have been been playing for or would it change? Probably she would have been called on to play for the very important guests mm-hmm. of George Washington, mm-hmm. and this would have been something that was equivalent to, say, serving a beautiful meal in a beautiful way Mm -hmm. Um, and then going through to the parlor and hearing some absolutely wonderful music played on the absolutely best harpsichord that money could buy, which this was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Um, So to to jump back to some of your research here to get to get back to into that. Um, what do you think this is a this is a loaded question. What do you think is the most interesting thing you've found while you've been here? I know that there's been lots, but I want to hear what your most interesting thing is, maybe in the books or the letters. The most interesting thing that I found from looking at the original books was the fact that Nellie was a very detailed 
artist. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I can learn from her fingering. Yes. I've actually been practicing her fingering. Using and her it's, fingering. it's yeah. It's almost like getting inside the mind of somebody who lived 200 and some years ago Mm -hmm. um, because fingering is, for me, it's very important as a keyboard player. It's it's my decision on how the phrases go, how the music will sound, what the articulations will be. So for me as a performer, to be able to have access to another performer's fingering and markings in the music makes me feel very close to this player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's it's as though I know her yeah. in this very musical way. Yeah. So that that's very powerful Definitely. for me. Definitely. Well, I think that's very interesting, too. Um, that's, that's really all the questions I have for you. Do you have anything else you want to talk about while we're here? I do. Um, one of the things that is so interesting is that young women at the time were taught keyboard. Mm -hmm. Um, Keyboard was considered the perfect instrument for a young lady at the time. Um, I'm very interested in that because some of the questions that I get now is, do you think they could have played this music as amateurs? Um, What I've learned is that they had all the time in the world to practice. Yeah. And Nellie Custis in particular had the best teachers yeah. available. Um, for example, Alexander Reinagel, who was one of the top musicians in America yes. at the time, yes. was her teacher in New York and in Philadelphia. Oh, I didn't realize both. Yeah. Yeah. So she was she had access to the very best teaching, the very best music, the very best harpsichord and piano, mm-hmm. probably. And her exercises that I've been able to see were extensive and very difficult. Um, and she had time to practice. Yeah. According to some letters, we are told that she was forced to practice <laughs> for perhaps four or five hours a day and didn't like it very much when she was a young, a young child. Um, but when you practice that long, um, there's a certain amount of expertise that mm-hmm. is probably that. inevitable. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. So I, I love learning that, that she, um, she really did have access to the absolute best and probably was quite a fine performer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not surprising because she would have been performing for some of the most important guests exactly. of yeah. the first president of the United States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I like being able to, you know, get into that aspect, too, because I think in our present time, when we say the word amateur, it calls up a kind of, you know, not a professional sort of ability. But I think that the abilities were much greater than we might imagine. Definitely. And of course, when we look at the needlework and the elaborate work that was done by women at this time, it's not very surprising that they would be as adept at music as they were at needlework. Definitely. I agree. I agree. Well, uh, tell me a little more about what you've found in the music books. In addition to the pieces that are in there, um, some are publications, some were published editions, but very fascinatingly, some were copied by Nellie herself. So we could see, for example, 
there is a copy of the first book of the harpsichord miscellany okay. in the collection here in the library yes. at Mount Vernon. Um, and this was a published edition that was very popular. But Nellie copied out these pieces herself wow. into her own notebook. Yeah. She did not apparently study from the original the book. printed book. Yeah. Yeah. She copied it in her own notation. And as we talked about before, some of them have her fingering yes. in there. Yes. Um, so we can see her own musical handwriting, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. And we know that she copied out certain pieces. So that we know. In addition, we can see the other aspects of her musical training. So she wasn't just learning pieces. Mm-hmm. She was taught figured bass. Yes, yes. Which was a style of accompanying that we tend to associate with an earlier Baroque kind of playing. Okay. Um, the player would be realizing chords from a bass line and from musical um, number figures sure. that would tell what the chords and harmonies were. Um, this is the late 18th century. So that's very so late it's, for that. Yeah. It is very yeah. late. And so it's very interesting that her teachers were giving her some very extensive mm-hmm. figured base exercises and instructions. And these are all in there in handwritten examples. Yeah. So very, very useful and interesting to know what her education was, that it included this earlier style of accompaniment. Um, the other thing that's in her book that is quite interesting is a tuning system. Yes, yes, which is super interesting. I, w- would that have been a common practice for the young women to learn tuning of their of their of their harpsichords? Well, it would seem that it would be necessary mm-hmm. because harpsichords are like violins that go out of tune. Yeah. Yeah. But instead of four strings, they have maybe 160-something, wow. as this one does. <laughs> yeah. So we do have to think about the tuning um, and the fact that um, we do know that tuners came. There are accounts okay. that show that tuners were paid, and mm-hmm. we don't exactly know what they did. Maybe they did more than just tune a little maintenance or regulation. But there it is. In her music book is a, a very sensible tuning system, sure. which, um, of course, I've tried, yeah, and yeah. it makes absolute sense. And it, does, it doesn't surprise me that she would have to have known how to tune, yeah. to touch up a little bit, um, maybe in between the when tuner's, the tuners visits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we can't know for sure, but there it is. Yep. So her education um, encompassed the knowledge of pieces, exercises, Yep. As I mentioned, some very elaborate etudes that would have um, enhanced her virtuosity, yep. tuning system, and figured bass. So we really can get a very complete yeah. and nuanced picture of how she was trained. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is just fascinating to me. These are, I, I mentioned in my podcast on the 31st, or that came out today on the 31st, that these are some of my favorite pieces in our collection, so it's very exciting to get to sit and talk about them. It's and, great, yeah, and yeah. I appreciate it so much when when I first met you and you you know you told me about some of these yeah. things that I I was going to see and yes. I was so excited. <laughs> um, the instrument itself, um, we should talk about a little bit more because it is so 
unique and yes, special. Yes, tell me more about it. Tell yeah, um, this particular harpsichord is a double manual. Mm-hmm. It has some features that are not found on every double manual harpsichord. Um, it's an English harpsichord that was ordered from the firm Longman and Broderip. Okay. Um, it has some very unique and special features which make it quite expressive for its time. Um, this might be reflected in the fact that composers were asking for more expression. Um, the piano was already in existence, but the piano was quite a, a smaller instrument than we know today. Mm-hmm. And although it was very expressive, um, it was very sweet and mellow. And the harpsichord still had some qualities that made it um, different but desirable still. So there was this period when the harpsichord and the piano coexisted. And a family such as um, the Washingtons had both Both. piano and harpsichord. Mm -hmm. The harpsichord was able to do very orchestral kind of colorations and contrasts. So this harpsichord has, if you look at it, you'll see the two manuals and you'll also see two pedals. And what those pedals are, the left one operates something called a machine stop. Mm -hmm. That machine stop, if it's activated, can supply a preset of four different sounds. So the player doesn't have to use the hand stops as we're used to. By using the pedal, we can activate uh, what is called a harp stop, a little mm-hmm. muted leather, leather, leather against the string. We can activate a lute stop, which is a very front plucking, nasal sounding mm-hmm. um, string on the upper manual. And we can also hear the full harpsichord, three sets of strings on the lower manual, and then the front plucking upper manual. So you have four choices that are quite different. Yes. And yes. this allows for very orchestral changes, such as a conductor might point at the the woodwinds and then point mm-hmm. at the strings and you're going to get very different colors mm-hmm. out of the orchestra. Yeah, That's how I feel when I play this instrument. And yes. I press the pedal and suddenly I can have the lute stop or the harp stop or the full lower manual or the regular upper you're manual. You're like a conductor in your own sense. Yeah, I'm yeah. the conductor on this harpsichord. Yeah, And then the other pedal on the right activates... Um, what is called the Venetian swell. Mm -hmm. And this is a mechanism that if you look at where the soundboard is of the harpsichord, it covers the strings, and it's a set of louvers that can be opened gradually with the foot pedal Mm -hmm. and closed gradually. Or not, you can open it quickly and close it quickly as well. But it means that on a harpsichord, we're now able to make a crescendo. Yeah. Which is something that the harpsichord has not been famous for, and now we can do it. So on this instrument, we have these very, very special expressive devices that are quite unique and um, that don't exist on very many harpsichords. Some English harpsichords had um, one or the other. Um, This one has both. And we have something else that's unique to this instrument, and that is that the four sets of plectra um, that these are the the mechanisms that pluck the strings inside for, for the action mm-hmm. all made out of leather 
Okay. And again, this is something very special and unique to this instrument because most of the harpsichords that we hear and play today are quilled in bird quill. Okay. Or a plastic, a kind of a Delrin plastic that imitates the qualities of bird quill. Mm-hmm. Um, and quill is something that we harpsichordists are very used to. We're yeah. used to playing with them. We're used to carving them, replacing them. This one has leather. And this leather is originally on the harpsichord that is here at Mount Vernon. Um, and what we think is that just like the Venetian swell and just like the machine stop that helps us make all these different sounds, the leather allows us to be slightly more nuanced in the way we touch the instrument. And I found in my playing of the instrument over the past month that I am able to make these slight, um, just slight differences that help Mm -hmm. me shape phrases Mm -hmm. in a more sensitive way than maybe I could do on a quilled instrument. So it's been quite a quite an adventure and quite an experience to live with this instrument for the past month. Definitely. And I know we're very happy to 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 have you continue to come back and you'll be back in August for for our our symposium, I know that. The, yes, we have up. a symposium yeah. with um, a lineup of very interesting speakers, um, internationally invited, and also a concert that will include the great singer Julianne Baird. Oh, that's so exciting. I can't wait. It'll be really a really fun and special treat. I know that. And I know all of the staff has really enjoyed hearing the harpsichord being played and learning and listening so it's it's been a it's been a great time so it's been wonderful having you in the studio today and chatting with you and i look forward to hearing more about your research and seeing the finished outcomes thank you so much it's my pleasure thank you for listening to this episode of conversations at the washington library be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts 